Hello and welcome to another Empire Spoiler Special podcast. This one devoted to the mid-season points of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Yes, the Amazon Prime show is getting the spoiler special treatment in the only way we can afford to do right now because we are, need sleep and food and <laughs> rest occasionally. But I have assembled a crack team today to talk about this show. Um, we weren't all available last time. Everybody's available this time. So I have four colleagues of such lethal cunning joining me today. A fellowship, First of- if you will. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, Helen. Yes, we did that last time, James. Oh. <laughs> See, I um, missed the first one, all the bad jokes. Sorry, go But back yes, uh, I, d- I am joined by James Dyer, a man so twisted and evil that even the Balrogs think he's a bit much. Hello. Thanks. Hi, Helen. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> That's all right. I'd written that before you interrupted me, so there you go. Uh, just <laughs> but it's nice to know that I could inhabit the role so naturally. <laughs> yes, so that's, there you uh... go. <laughs> We're also joined, of course, by a Mon Warman who's only here for the songs and poems and hopes that every single one is included. Hello, Amon. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, yes, I hope you guys are all prepared for my 45-minute soliloquy on Bear McQuilly. Uh, given that we only have an hour, that may have to wait for the season finale, but we'll do our best. No, it's happening now. Deal okay, with it. we'll... we'll... <laughs> Quick, quick, hit the edit button. Mute him. We also have Dan Jolin, who in a quest to be more Aragorn has been living in his own back garden for 21 years now. How's that going? It's actually it's going really well. I am literally in my own back garden right now. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, that your, your, lived in, your lived in feel is really, is really working, though. That's, oh, really, that's great you. to know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going for sort of ruggedly handsome. Yeah, so, so you know. What do you well, think? Well, one or two ain't bad. Weather, weather beaten. <laughs> of course, of course. Not weather top. Uh, and finally, we are joined by Nick DeSemelin, who forged the shards of Narsil into a stylish fireside set. So that's lovely. True story. True story. Please, please refer to me as the stranger. Um, it explains why I woke up naked in a hedge this morning. Nicholas the Brown. Do you want to start there? Shall we start with the stranger? We'd, we'd speculated a little bit about this last time, but we've now had a few more episodes. Have any of you mm. come down hard on an identity for the stranger? I kind of have, but I'm interested to hear what you all think. Huh. Baby Gandalf all the way. Baby Gandalf. Well, it's. I mean, people, there's been so much talk about this, and uh, some people say it absolutely can't be Gandalf because it's too early. It's like for forty three thousand years off or something. Well, um, so the I talking mean, like scholars are like 10, this would 000. be completely. Yeah. Ah, what's a couple of hundred thousand years in in Middle Earth lore? Um, but yeah, I see. I've seen people saying he's a blue wizard, and that sounds clever. So that's my theory too now. That sounds like a porn wizard. Uh, I'm, I'm, the thing that's confusing me about this, I'm very, very mixed up on the timelines here because, first of all, I, so how many thousand years is this before Lord of the Rings? Helen's holding up fingers. So uh, we did just discuss this a little bit last time, but just to recap, the Second Age lasts 12,000 years right. before the Third Age. So the Third Age starts with um, Isildur's failure to throw the ring in the volcano, basically, that yes. kind of that conflict, and finishes with Frodo and, and Gollum actually throwing it in the volcano, is my understanding, right? Okay. Third Age isn't that long. Second Age is super long. It's like 9,000 years long. It's from 12,000 before until 3,000 before the events of Lord of the Rings. The problem is uh, they are compressing the timeline, as you'll have heard in Mm. our interview, which I forgot to introduce at the start of the show. Let me do that now. We do have an interview with one of the show's main directors. Wayne Shea Yip uh, directed basically the middle third of the show and the final episode of this season, which we haven't seen yet, of course, um, and came along to talk to me about that last week. So here's a little bit. We, we touched a little bit on that timeline stuff in this episode. Please enjoy. 
Nice to virtually meet you. Wayne, how are you doing? Hi. Yeah, good. Very well. How are you? Not too bad. So um, what what's it like, you know, getting into Lord of the Rings? First of all, I guess, what was your what was your relationship with the books? Are you a longtime fan or is this something that you had to swat up on in short order? Well, I mean, either way, I mean, it's the the world is the world of Tolkien is so vast that you know I I defy anyone, regardless of the level of fandom, that they wouldn't have to go get back into it just to remind <laughs> themselves of names of everything. But I I grew up I was born in um, in Oxford. I grew yeah. up there, so uh, Tolkien was 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 always sort of present in in mm. sort of you know my upbringing and obviously when i came came to the books and that was sort of almost required reading in the playground uh it, then to find out that the author actually lived you know close to the school that yeah. i was attending and suddenly realizing was like oh wait so the, the guy that came up with this incredible story lived here and then feeling like you know the world that you know the place that i was growing up in was maybe the same things that you know might have inspired him it just sort of you know, it just added to just the kind of um, the experience of reading the books, knowing that the you know that Tolkien was you know was there in the was same there. city that I was in. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, while while he was writing these amazing novels, just kind of yeah, as I said, added added to the kind of experience. It's it's just fascinating walking around and just speculating. I always I always had a particular lamppost in Oxford that I thought was the one that inspired C.S. Lewis. And similarly, oh, yeah. there's like there's like little corners where I'm like, I'm sure Tolkien was here. Like I think definitely... I know I know the I know the one. There's like isn't there like right? just like a, a handful of gas lampposts that still exist in Oxford? Exactly. That I just feel yeah. <laughs> there's something yeah. There's something a bit Mr. Mr. Tumnus about that one. Um, definitely. Yeah. I know, I know exactly. Like C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, you know, I just kind of, you know, you grow up assuming that, you know, everyone, everyone is is born and is brought up in a town that is full of incredible authors. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I had, a, I, I, he was, he, he was, he was part of my life from a very early stage, and then, you know, when I, and and obviously, you know, a fan of the the films when they came out. Um, uh, I was working at the Phoenix Picture House at the time. Shout out to the Phoenix Big Chance. Absolutely. Um, and the, uh, yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, fast forward 2019 and I heard that, you know, Amazon had bought, like the rest of the world, Amazon had bought the rights and that this TV, this TV show was, was go, it was, a, it was about to happen. And so I just, it was just like a moonshot. I <laughs> managed to get, managed to get in touch with Lindsay Weber, the um, executive producer and, and, you know, just, just to see whether there was any chance that I could even have a meeting with her. Um, and managed to, you know, managed to, managed to get 30 minutes of her time and, you know, just blabbed, <laughs> just blabbed about how much I loved the books and how, how important they were to me. And I guess it was one of those situations that is, I thought if this is as far as I got with it, then, you know, it was still, it was still, it was, it was still, it was still an honor to be even considered for even, even if it was only just for 30 minutes. And then, yeah. And then, but I guess, I guess, um, I guess whatever I said worked and, uh, here we are next thing i knew i was on my way to new zealand yeah so i mean give me give me some facts and figures there about the scale of this so were you stuck in new zealand for i mean not stuck you know it's a wonderful place but were you there for two years were you sort of pandemic in or uh did you come and yeah, go pretty, how long did four episodes take pretty much i was there from i was there for about a year and a half two years wow. um mm-hmm. so so they started in 2020 end of 2019 2020 i believe and then and then pandemic struck and but obviously like the rest of the world we didn't know what you know we didn't know what the extent of it so yeah. i think they were 
they stood down for a bit to see what was going to happen. And that turned into like a, almost like a five month hiatus. And then, then I arrived just as um, the wonderful Jacinda Arden and the rest of the New Zealand government allowed certain people back in the country. I think, I think they probably thought that, you know, they needed some sort of, they needed to keep the economy going somehow. And, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe this was, this was going to be a small part of it. Um, so yeah, so I arrived uh, summer of 2020. Twenty twenty one, I think. When was last summer? What year were we in? Last summer was yeah. <laughs> last summer was twenty twenty. Yeah. So twenty twenty. So twenty twenty. Around twenty twenty. Right. And then I yeah. And then I let we finished shooting in July of twenty twenty one. So wow. it took about I think it was about eight months. Mm-hmm. Eight months of shooting. Nine months of shooting. Wow. I mean that's for it was this like, is for a huge like production. I mean the the scale of this thing is kind of off the charts. I know you've done big TV before, you know, Utopia and Doctor Who and, and even my beloved Wheel of Time, but uh, mm. th- this is this is an enormous undertaking, it feels like. Yeah, I think it's, especially with, I mean, you know, not even taking into consideration the, you know, the the, the huge, you know, respect and the and, and also the kind of the the kind of the pressure that we put ourselves under to get it right. But it but anything to do with fantasy or sci-fi or something kind of you know, not of our world requires a huge amount of fabrication. You know, mm. we can't, we, if we needed to do a, you know, a dinner scene, you can't be like, I'll just nip over to the shops and grab some elven plates and bowls and cutlery. <laughs> it was like, if there's a dinner scene, then it's, there's months of discussion and design and, you know, interrogating the text to see whether there were any clues that Tolkien left about what an elven water jug might look like, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, so every single, so that was a, you know, so much of the pre-production was, was, was that, and you know, and 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 obviously everyone, everyone likes to to bring up and talk about the this, you know, mythical Amazon budget that is assigned to our show, but you know, if if I if I if I could you know if I could sort of talk about my own personal experience with you know with that is just that's where it kind of that's where I felt it was in the the, the amount of time that we had to really kind of deep dive into the, you know, into the sort of, um, into the discussion, the thought and the, and the, and the kind of, you know, uh, the thought behind all of these things from, you know, not just the props, but the costumes, the locations, mm-hmm. the, you know, everything. Cause, you know, because of the, the, the depth of, uh, of, of fancy writers and especially Tolkien, you know, everything had meaning and we wanted to make sure that, you know, every, every part of what we were doing uh, was telling a story. And you did have a dinner table scene. I mean, the, in, in the most recent episode, there is a grand sort of gala dinner between, or state dinner almost, between elves and dwarves. And, uh, and the table becomes a plot point, you know? So you've yeah. got to get those details right. Well, yeah, exactly. Every single one of those things, you know, what did elves eat? That that took that was months <laughs> months of discussion and, and sort of like then what would they serve them on and what and then you know and then you know would they you know I don't think any, any eagle eyed viewers could they could actually see what they were eating but you know did they did they kind of modify the menu slightly for a dwarf's diet or palate or were they kind of you know trying to introduce some some vegetables into a you know elven vegetables into a dwarven 
uh, diet, I, you know, so, so, <laughs> you know, so there was, there was so many, yeah, every single thing had to, everything, every single thing had to be discussed and, and, you know, and, and designed and curated by our amazing team. Uh, and yeah, and then, and then, and then that table, that beautiful, that beautiful table that was, that was, you know, created by our art department, that's all resin and, and, you know, handmade by, you know, the greatest, <laughs> fake table fabricators of New Zealand. Um, what what did you come down on on the uh, elven dwarfen food? Uh, what did you what did you decide? Did the elves keep it pure or actually make some accommodations? No, they it, it was lots of lots of salad, <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of greens, lots of greens, lots of salad, uh, and I think you know every, everything came from the forest. Mm. They know what's good for you, and damn it, they're going to make sure you eat it. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, they live forever, so maybe they maybe they're doing something right when it comes to uh, <laughs> when it comes to the health. So, who do you go to to find out? You know, uh, all these details. Like, do you have kind of absolute Tolkien PhDs on set who who are familiar with every passing reference in every page? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, no one, no one with the kind of you know, no one specifically had that you know that title right. in our immediate in our immediate circle i know that jd and patrick had you know had uh were in very close uh very close uh conversation with a lot of talking experts when they were writing and you know the many years that they they had before we even started pre-production yeah. um but you know what we found was that everyone in their own way was a talking expert <laughs> you know there are a lot of the a lot, a lot of the art department a lot of the people that worked in the costume fabrication team you know they'd all, they'd all worked on the films or six of the films on you know various other you know uh, various other things and so you know they, they they brought so much knowledge and so much experience to you know to this show and so there was always there was always a, a, such a sort of um, before we even kind of got into the text there was always such a wealth of knowledge from you know from from every single person that you know that that uh, was involved in every decision. It was it was fantastic. There was no one that needed to be like, you know, no one ever needed, no one ever was was was. I was like, well, what's what is Lord of the Rings? You know, <laughs> everyone, you know, talk talk to me more about elf. It was you know, it was a, everyone was so, you know, without needing to ask everyone and the ready. The, it was all there. It was all evident in everything that we did. So so yeah, it was it, that that kind of side of things was kind of was was not particularly challenge. It was more of like we could only do one thing. You know, there was only one. There was only one dinner scene. So what were the things that we were going to have on there? Because you know, then everyone had like you know ten things, and they were all incredible, ten fantastic ideas. It was more just like what were we? What were we going to choose? Right. So, I mean, tell me about then your block, because you've basically got the four middle episodes to the season, right? So, you know, was... was I, I have a, the middle three in the last one. The middle three in the last one, of course, sorry. So, so you know, how how do you guys work that out? There's the, the three of directors, you know, is that is that a kind of like pick names from a hat? You know, what do you, how do you figure out who does what? Um, I think the, I think the decision came down to more of, uh, a story strands. Right. So you know what what we had. What you know what was great was the fact that we had you know the wonderful Jay Brianna who kicked things off and he very much set the tone. You know, obviously was part of a lot of the casting of the of the main characters. And then I picked up with the Numenor storyline. So a lot of you know we tried to keep a consistent sort of uh, di- a directorial 
person for you know for each of the storylines so the episodes that will are coming up uh, six and seven with charlotte i'm not going to give anything away but you know it, it, it's very much a contained uh story in in those two episodes um so so yeah so i mean if anything it was like you know for, for directors it's you know you're really there to to sort of you know steward everyone through what we're doing as opposed to sort of telling someone how to do their job you, you're more like a you know you're almost like a football coach you know everyone everyone has their speciality and you're just there to just make sure we're all going the same direction <laughs> you know and sort of trying to trying to trying to create an environment that everyone can do their best work yeah um you know so if i so and 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 obviously as, as i'm sure you know we usually shoot a, quite a lot out of sequence depending on what locations are available you know we especially for this show we were building a lot of sets um so you know numenor for instance the numenor uh, back lot and the courthouse and you know and all of those amazing um the amazing places that you've already seen in episodes three well and four and five the ship mm-hmm. being one of them they took a long time to build uh so they were kind of parts of that were coming in at different times of the schedule and it was depending on when those sets were were ready that's when we shot those scenes right um so a lot of times my job would just remind everyone where they were characters where they were you know every you know cinematographer art department just it's just someone to be there a consistent voice just to remind everyone where we're going what we were doing yesterday what we're doing today how that might affect tomorrow yeah, yeah. And try, trying to keep all trying to keep all the as you say everybody going in the same direction all the balls spinning at the same rate and the, at the same time i guess exactly um, so i mean tell me about numenor because it is somewhere first of all that we've never been before in any of the lord of the rings adaptations which is really exciting and, and fresh and somewhere we've heard a lot about but never been and then it's also was it was it the biggest set i think on this show like it's it's an enormous enormous world to create it was yeah it was one of those it was one of those moments where um when i find out found out that i was going to be introducing Numenor and bringing it to the big screen it was both obviously incredibly exciting and then terrifying and, and that was i mean that was basically the experience consistently for about a year and a half of uh you know constant um excitement and then terror terror but uh but again i mean again i have to i have to sort of mention uh uh, the amazing team that we had, Ramsey Avery, our production designer, uh, Kate Hawley, our costume designer, uh, Ron Ames and Jason Smith, who were doing the post-production and visual effects. They they had brought so much already to the table, you know, in terms of, the, we're, not, we're not just talking about creative people, but in terms of, you know, them being Tolkien fans since they were mm. young kids. They They had, you know, 20, 30 years of, of designs already that they were kind of itching to, you know, to, to show off. So in a way, you know, in some aspects of designing Numenor, there was, you know, there was, you know, 20, 30 years of thought that got into some of these, some of these ideas. And so, you know, so we really, but ultimately we really just approached it in, in a way that felt as connected to a real life experience as mm-hmm. possible. Something that, something that at least, you know, that, that, viewers can either at a subconscious level have some feeling of familiarity even though it was something new and so we kind of thought a lot about how you know how it must have been like approaching new york on a ship or other great you know other you know famous uh harbor cities that you wouldn't just arrive and just 
see everything in one go. You know, yeah. you'd arrive and you see one thing and then you'd see another thing and then they would slowly sort of build and, you know, if anything that would just allow you someone to just, you know, adjust to the fact that when you finally do arrive in that harbour, you know, we've built up that excitement. You've slowly sort of taken someone by the hand and led them through one one amazing thing after the other. And then, you know, and then and then exposing the kind of, you know, everyone to the big sort of wide shot. Yeah. So it was almost like, yeah, we always wanted to kind of unfurl it like a, like a flower <laughs> in a way. It, 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 it really worked. And, and I have to say, in, in terms of the kind of real life uh, experience, it, it is something that I didn't expect this show particularly to have real world resonances. And I feel like already from, the, from episode one, uh, right through certainly a lot of the numerous scenes, there are very striking real world parallels that you're kind of feeding into these these cities and these cultures and these peoples that do feel like they're bringing them closer and more you know, more immediately to our own world um and, and i i don't know if if this is something you want to talk about or not but but that feels new and it felt exciting to me to see that in a lord of the rings show so was that something that you all talked about yeah that was something that um jd and patrick our showrunners uh were quite adamant that that we look through everything in a in a lens of of realism in um in in such that you know we wanted to try and we wanted to try and ground as much as we could so that the kind of so that the fantastical things could almost sort of not feel too detached yeah in a way like we kind of almost needed to try and experience it through some sort of pov that felt that felt sort of human yeah maybe not human but but more relatable yeah because it's sort of like you know ultimately it's like whatever the fantastical thing that we were trying to do or the magic or something that was not of our world you know deep down it had to be the audience had to somehow connect and somehow relate to it whether they Mm. consciously know it or subconsciously because otherwise it wouldn't you know we just felt like it wouldn't have any real impact Mm. If it was something that, you know, that you look at and be like, I have no point of reference at all for what is happening. Because obviously, you know, there's so many things that you wouldn't like in episode four when Muriel's seeing, you know, the the waves crashing down and, you know, destroying Numenor in in her dream. You know, how many people stood and watched that happen in real life? Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, to to shoot it and make sure we, you know, we had it through her her perspective watching you know this big wave consuming things as opposed to you know flying above the city and seeing it in some sort of omnipotent godlike fashion we hope that it would at least kind of give a bit more of a sort of like a personal experience um so yeah so that's what we tried to do with at least you know with everything and then um and then build on top of that for the more sort of fantastical ideas just, just to kind of wrap it up a little bit. What's the other big thing that has really shocked, or surprised me about this show, is how little I know. You know, I have read the appendices and I have read all the Tolkien books over time, and and yet I feel like there are kind of twists and mysteries in this show that I I didn't really expect there to be to this extent. I'll be honest. Um, you know, have you been keeping track of, of people's reactions online? Have you been reading that kind of stuff? And, and is that what you were kind of going for, this kind of sense of suspense about where is Sauron, who is Sauron, and so on? Um, I think if, if anything that I've learned 
from this job is to not go on the internet anymore <laughs> never, and read never. any co- <laughs> any comments related to um no well, i mean that was something that you know that was was both sort of challenging but also beneficial the fact that you know on stories based in the second age have a lot of gaps in them yeah you know Tolkien didn't write you know every single thing in the second age um he you know he 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 wrote about very you know very big and sort of landmark moments but then there were like hundreds of years where you know no one knows what happened to characters or how anyone got from a to b you know they just were here at one point and then they weren't and then you know hundreds of years later someone else was somewhere else and then something happened and so so yeah so there was a lot, there's a lot of um yeah there was a lot of gaps in the second age and so you know so we we had the kind of daunting task of figuring out what possibly could have happened in between those these huge moments um so you know we tried to kind of obviously base as much as we could on on fact and what was you know what had been written by by Tolkien and then we you know we 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 created and embellished and and you know and 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 hopefully um join the dots in a way join the stars with 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 stories and characters that you know that felt true to uh, the spirit of Tolkien absolutely and and i think it's going to be a probably a slightly shorter time span than the 9000 years in the book but it feels like you've still got quite a, a lot of room to maneuver and a lot of room to work with over the well, next couple of yeah. seasons well yeah i mean the challenge the challenge of that is that we realized that we had to we had to compress a bit of storyline otherwise we'd be replacing the human characters like every season <laughs> you know because because yeah because the, the we couldn't really do a thousand years yeah um, even the long-lived I, men of Numenor yeah it doesn't quite work yeah it would only last would only technically last three episodes <laughs> <laughs> so so yes yeah, so if we wanted to do all these incredible moments the forging of the rings the fall of Numenor and the the you know the 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 war of you know the war of the um of the rings the last alliance of uh, elves and men then yeah there was going to have to be a little bit of time compression otherwise yeah, it would be a uh, 100, 145 season show. <laughs> Look, I'm here for it, but I don't know if everyone is. So <laughs> it'll be fun. But listen, thank you so much for talking to us. Cannot wait for the, the last few episodes. And then, you know, hopefully you'll be back for a season two, three, four, five, however many, 145, yeah. you know, however 145, many. 145, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. So as you heard, Timeline-wise, they are compressing somewhat, because if they can compress this into a few hundred years instead of a few thousand, that means that the long-lived men of Numenor stay around, the dwarves stay around, even maybe the Harfoots, at least for part of the running time, depending on your timeline. But if you can compress it down to a few hundred years, then you've got many more characters to play with, is the basic so, takeaway. So this is the thing. So I'm a big fancy fan, but I'm the first to admit I'm not necessarily the biggest Tolkien fan. I know that's sacrilege, but it is what it is. <laughs> but and I'm very confused with who lives how long and when. Because like, I, like Aragorn is obviously a, a man of Numenor, you know, by lineage and whatnot. But he's a he's a Dunedain or whatever it is. Whatever it is and, and they live how long? They can live a few hundred years. So we're talking like four or five hundred years for the men of Numenor. Okay, in theory, so quite a long time. And the elves. Yeah. Aragorn, Aragorn is eighty-seven in yeah. Lord of the Rings. He looks very good. 
Very, very. Um, he's, yeah. he's taking care of himself. His grooming routine is fantastic. Yeah. It's weird. The mouth of Sauron's only seventeen, so it's just it's very bizarre. Uh, but but and the elves they live forever. Indefinitely. Yeah, basically indefinitely. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. And, and the, the dwarves, dwarves. A few hundreds. Okay. I think three. So does everyone lives a fucking long time. Does anyone die at a normal age? Well, Men. the, the yes. hobbits only go up to you know 111 is a very old age. Oh, that's hobbit. right. Yeah, 111st. Yes. So okay, you could good. have. So in this show, they could do a House of the Dragon style time jump and jump forward a thousand years, and half the characters would be dead, and the other <laughs> half would look exactly the same. Yeah. Just be like wandering around. You wouldn't have to recast. But like I say, I feel like, and they've said essentially that they are compressing it into a few hundred years. That basically okay. events that happen throughout the Second Age are all going to happen in a little clump you know, relatively speaking, um, yeah. just so they don't have to recast every second episode. Bad news for the Harfoots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because like yeah. 111 is like about as good as it gets for a Harfoot. Yeah, but I, I feel a lot like if you've seen one Harfoot with twigs in her hair, then you've seen all of them. So they could just swap them out oh. as and when. I'm fine with it. Don't be Harfootist. <laughs> <laughs> could care less about the Harfoots, sorry. Okay, but but let's, I mean, we, we were talking about the strangers, so stranger and Harfoot seem to go the, go together. I, th- I feel like we go yep. species by species because there's actually a lot of plots, a lot of stuff to talk about, and we have limited time today. So, um, yeah, Harfoots and the stranger. I mean, they're, they're clearly a more nomadic people than the hobbits. Uh, there's been some controversy online about whether hobbits proper should also exist at this time. But in the show's telling, at least, it seems like these are the ones who are around. With the twigs in their hair. With yes. the twigs in their hair, yes. In need of a good okay. conditioner, but su- such is life. One of my listeners wrote in about the Halffoots and had a real issue with them about the representation of Irish people. It had a real mm. thing where, oh, so I don't mm. necessarily have an issue with it because I guess they're not well, Irish any more than dwarves are Scottish. Do you know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> they're just choosing regional accents to delineate different races and it's like it almost doesn't matter. But I like the fact that the stranger is being taught to speak with an Irish accent. I quite appreciate the consistency there. I just wanted to throw that out there. Sorry, Dan, go on. As a man with twigs in his hair, you should speak. <laughs> yes, I know. hang on, I'll just brush a few out. But um, I, I was quite surprised, I think, in, in, in episode uh, th- uh, three it was, uh, how actually quite brutal the Harfoots are. It's just like, you know, all these people they just mm. left behind. I know some mm. of them died, but it does sound to me like, you know, mm. oh, you sprain your ankle, we're on the way, bye, you know, and, and, and decaravanning people and everything like that. Mm. This is not the Shire. This is not, you know, yeah. lovely, lovely, comfy hobbit holes. This is this is nasty stuff. I enjoyed the bit where they're sort of listing the the methods of death that all these people have had, and then one of them has a mm. silly death and they all laugh and then just carry on. <laughs> it's like, you don't want to be that guy. His funeral was just them laughing, but um, I, I'm enjoying them. I'm, I, I think they're uh, they're cool. I mean, obviously they've gone for a Frodo and Sam dynamic with um, Nori and the uh, her, her friend, Is her it friend, Poppy? Poppy. Poppy. Yes, they've very much like gone for his. This is Frodo and Sam. But yeah, they haven't really got much to do yet. Really, they haven't sort of gone on a quest. That's the mm. thing you're kind of waiting for Nori and Pop and uh, Poppy. Poppy to go on. Poppy a, proud fellow. Poppy. Poppy Proudfellow, uh, sorry, Poppy. Uh, but yeah, we're kind of waiting for them to properly sort of go off and, and have something to do. Do you think it'll be them on their own? Well, that would be very, very Lord of the Rings. Mm. But I, I feel like they're building up to that. I feel like they're going to loot, they're going to get lost from the convoy for the main group in some way and have to go off and do something. I, I, that's my guess. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if that turns out to be correct. But right now, it's probably, probably my least favourite storyline. It's yet to really pop. And the teasers for The Stranger are intriguing, but 
It's a very slow moving plot line that feels like we're just going to tease you a little bit more here. Who could this be? There's a little bit more here. This is another clue to who this might be. And I just, I, I want them to get to that answer and really get some more propulsiveness to that storyline in particular. See, I'm quite enjoying the fact that there are actually mysteries in this show because I didn't expect there to be any. Mm. Yeah. To, to a degree, I like the mystery, but I still, I, it, it's, it's just a bit slow moving for me. I, I want to, to keep, keep the mystery up, but give us more clues so that we can get to the answer quicker, if that makes sense. There is a lot of mysteries in this show, actually, because mm. it's, it's like, it's a lot of who is, right? It's like, who is yeah. the stranger, but also who is Sauron? And frankly, exactly. I think any one of you guys could be Sauron, because I now <laughs> suspect <laughs> the guy who just came to my door with a parcel, I'm pretty sure is Sauron. Um, yeah. But there's, yeah, there's at least three, right? Like there's, yeah. there's, and, and they don't, and that, that may be a fourth, because like the last episode I saw, they introduced the creepy Joffrey sort of guy. Eminem, yes. Lord, uh, Lord yeah. Eminem. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's called the Dweller. The, the guy is looking over at the, the Dweller. Um, the, the, the crater where yeah, Gandalf yeah, yeah. or somebody else landed. Yeah. That, that person appears to have boobs. No, I don't want to, you know, Ooh. delineate their gender, oh. but the, they have short hair, but they do appear to have, you know, something in front. Oh, I didn't we... notice that. Yeah. I didn't notice that. I don't look at people that way, Helen. Of course not. Of course <laughs> not. But eyes, it, eyes, yes. Always eye to eye. Eye to eye. But there, there, is, there is some suggestion that that is a cult devoted to the worship of Morgoth, who was, of course, of course Sauron's mm. boss before Sauron. Mm. So, yeah, mm. there's certainly bad news. I, I feel very confident in saying that. Yeah. It can't be Gandalf, because you know when the Harfoots are moving their little their little caravans and thing, mm -hmm. where they're doing the thing, and he arrives late. And of course, as we all know, a wizard is never late, <laughs> nor is he early, but arrives precisely when he means to, so. But maybe that's when he meant to arrive, like yourself, late, often. <laughs> <laughs> precisely when I meant to, Helen. <laughs> yeah, so uh, look, there, there is still the possibility that the I think they're trying to tread a line with the stranger and leave it open that he might be evil and up to no good. I like that. I like that element. I like the, the thing with the fireflies. It was kind of... That Dan was good. Is, no, Dan is firmly against firefly violence, but um, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was cool because I didn't see it coming. I was like, oh, this is a bit sinister and I'm mm. not sure about this yeah. guy anymore. No, I, I, I'm pro-firefly violence. But on this front, I think... <laughs> I No, no, I'm definitely getting Gandalfian or at least nice starry vibes from the stranger i i kind of like the way he's being shaped and and, and crafted by his experience with the harfoots is making him who he is and that's to my mind puts him on a path both in terms of his character and narratively to being gandalf or gandalf alike in some way i mean the mm. the, the the irish i should say half accent slightly throwing me a little bit because of course everyone know, knows that Gandalf talks like Sirian McKellen, Sirian, Sirian, Sirian. Um, <laughs> so, 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 so that's kind of, kind of throwing me a little bit, but, but I think, I think, I don't know. I think it's kind of worth maybe looking at our suspects, the Sauron suspects. So, I mean, you know, aside, aside from the stranger, we've got, yeah. we've got, in my mind, we've still got, I think, Halbrand possibly, you know, the the mm -hmm. otherwise he's just pound shop Aragorn, um, and and then and then we've got uh, obviously Harsh. the dweller who we just mentioned, uh, and then I mean I don't know I I I think Ad Ad was his Adar Adar isn't it Adar I, I always think Adar Adar, Adar. 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 my yeah. name is Dan Adar who Joseph Maul aka Benjamin Stark sort of doing a bit of cross pollination yeah. between fantasy franchises, mm. but um, I I I was pretty sure it was him. 
that was and then of course there's that bit where he gets really pissed off where that guy says you're Sauron and he's like mm. goes all stroppy but could he be just stroppy because the mm. guy was right like oh you guessed that's annoying no I think he's stroppy because he's wrong Mm, here's, here's a question for all of you which might be tricky to answer because we're all such big Lord of the Rings fans but if you came to this show with no knowledge of Lord of the Rings and of Sauron of Gandalf of Saman and everything else and you're watching this show without sort of any wherewithal to have these questions answered do you think this show would still be working for you at least on this storyline <laughs> interesting I, uh, I, I'm not sure it's for people who haven't seen anything lord of the rings yeah i kind of feel it's building on the blocks of that lord of the rings trilogy and i think mm. sure i think there are access points for this but it's quite dense and dare i say a bit rambling in a way that i rather enjoy like i'm, I'm loving this show absolutely loving it a bit but i love mm. that it's just it's it's gone hardcore lore and isn't apologizing for any of it and i'm quite here for that <laughs> especially but, in episode five i mean the one the, the latest one to air i mean the lore is is pretty pretty full-on in that one I, um mm. Go I want on. to get into that in a minute. Uh, yeah, we'll come back oh, to it. Helen's got more <laughs> issues. <laughs> but I was just going to say on, on the subject on the subject of the Sauron suspects, I did see a theory. Someone was postulating on Twitter that the guy who gets into a fight with Halbrand uh, in Numenor is Sauron, like the, just oh, no. the random oh, bloke that like beats him <laughs> up. And I was like, it's what? Nori. We all know it's Nori. No, I've got I've got another one. I've got another one. Very first episode, right at the beginning, all the flash the flashback to the to the the Elflands. That little kid that throws the stone at her ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Sauron, I'm saying. The little kid oh, who throws the stone at the ship. Yeah. It's a great yeah. <laughs> theory. And the problem with that theory and the Ad- Ad- Adara theory is that Sauron isn't an elf, is he? I thought he was an elf. Mm. No. I thought he was. He's a star he? as well. He's, he's essentially he's the same stuff as, ma- as Gandalf is made of. Yeah. Is my understanding. Hang on. Gandalf's made of stars. Okay, back up a bit, Helen. I'm very confused. <laughs> I thought Gandalf I was just stuff, like a wizard. But- Oh, he's made a star. So, so hang on. So the wizards been, all fall no, from the sky. Okay. So the Astari actually like were sent by the gods or the god, the big god, to you know help Middle Earth after uh-huh. everything else. Um, but but yeah, they are essentially sort of like angels. Um, and is, are all the wizards that, or is it just Gandalf's? That? No, no. It's I believe it's meant to be like essentially their entire kind. My understanding is, and, it, and admittedly, I didn't reread the Silmarillion before doing okay. this. Is that Shame they are you. the same kind of person? So, so you know, yeah. So just, 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 just so I've got it in my clear. So Sylvester McCoy with bird shit in yeah. his hair, yeah. and Sebastian the Hedgehog is an angel. Yeah, but then you know, okay. like, if you think about Cass in Supernatural, which I always do, you know, angels don't have to be logical <laughs> by human standards. They don't have Fair. to be dignified and, and you know pretty and stuff. So it actually, I've, uh, it kind of works for me. I'm uh, in, in answer to Amon's question personally. I have heard a lot of stories about people who know nothing about this, except maybe having seen the films 20 years ago, getting really Mm. into it. So I feel like even just having seen the Peter Jackson film seems to be enough. I do take your point, though. If you came to this completely cold, knowing nothing, you might not sense that there's even a mystery there to be solved. So we're we're deep in online culture, admittedly. Yeah. I think this episode, the latest episode, does a good job of if assuming you don't come with that knowledge of just trying to ascertain whether the stranger is good or bad um, and trying to get a handle on that. That's an interesting thing, especially for the Harfoots to discern uh, over the next three episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know with, with some of the other stuff, it might be just too slow at this point 
to really grip you. Like I, I, I've been liking this show more and more as it's gone on. I haven't felt like gripped yet. Like I need to watch this as soon as the episode debuts. I need to, you know, make time like 8 a.m. whatever to what I'm not there mm. with this show yet. They're not really doing the cliffhanger thing. I don't think. I don't no. think any of the episodes have really ended with a giant da da da. Like you got yeah. to tune in to find out what happens. They're kind of taking a more stately approach of. There's excitement though. Maybe the landing of the stranger is the exception to that rule, but otherwise, I'd absolutely yeah. agree with you. But also the tree as well. It's a slightly more subtle one, but the queen doing her kind of vault fast on you know coming to help mm. Middle Earth like that. Mm. That ended on a kind of like, oh, I want to see what happens after this. Can I can I ask a question like sort of related to the Sauron thing? So there's a lot of talk of Morgoth, but we don't see Morgoth at any point. Have I missed a bit? of Did they explain what happens? Because it's it's inter- I'm interested in Morgoth like. What happened to him? Morgoth is definitely dead now. So he is basically the big foe that they had to defeat in the first stage. And um, he, you see, you basically see him in that breakneck speed. Mm. prologue that Galadriel gives which I I still think after five episodes is the show's weakest point that was uh, just too much information too quickly uh, in a way that made very little sense but yeah Morgoth you see the shadow of Morgoth Morgoth is barely ever uh, depicted but Morgoth was the ultimate foe there question Helen so Morgoth they killed him but they couldn't kill Sauron so how did they kill Morgoth Uh, stuff I don't know. The, the Valar <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm like, I think, I'm I think as I remember, that, yeah. and again, the problem is they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion, so they can't get into this. Because right. that's all Silmarillion, <laughs> is that where isn't he it? Dies? He so dies I think the they had to use, if memory serves, and again, haven't reread it, I think if memory serves, they had to use the Silmarils and essentially God to defeat Morgoth. Uh, okay. What's a Silmaril? Uh, the magic stones. <laughs> Oh, of course, magic stones. They, obviously, they refer right. to them. They actually do refer to them. They they are re- referenced in Lord of the Rings, and they refer to them even this week in terms of the crazy legend about the Mithril, which I did have a little bit tree. of trouble with. Yeah, the magic me tree too. with the magic. The, me, they they me actually too. said that 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 warrior was using a Silmaril, and I was a bit like, was he mm. though? When a Balrog when a Balrog hits a tree really hard, it makes Mithril. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's yeah. difficult to understand. Yeah, it's the birds and the bees for dwarves. It's very confusing. And the other, so my other Sauron question is: We're always saying who's Sauron, who's Sauron, but obviously Sauron isn't emerging now. Sauron has been there and been defeated once. Yes, is that what we're saying? He's so been defeated once. He needs Sauron to be defeated already. at least three more times. Sauron can change form, right? That that's the can thing. He, is like Sauron can at change this his point, appearance. Yes, not later mm-hmm. on. But okay, yes. explain. So he has to be defeated three more times. This is not, I don't think, a spoiler. He will be defeated. He has to be defeated at some point in the second age. Not saying when or how or or who by. Right. We've already seen him be defeated a little bit in The Hobbit, being driven from his stronghold beside Mirkwood. And he gets defeated, obviously, at the end of The Lord of the Rings. And and Isildur defeats him as well. Is that, or have we counted that one? That's the one at the end of this age. Spoiler. Okay, fine. But, okay, you know, sorry. Right. Pretty yeah. well known. So that I imagine yeah. we're going to see, right? Like we're going to see Isildur going up against Sauron. We've already seen it. I think we're going to see it again. We're going to see it again. <laughs> and and this better. time, yeah, and this time Elendil will be a lot more handsome. Wait, did I say that right wide? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it feels like it's all building up to a lot of like quite depressing stuff, like, right? Like it feels like we're just going to see like lots of characters getting wiped out and yeah, it's going to get quite bleak. It's like, like I mean, Revenge of the Sith. You know, on a long enough timeline, everybody's survival rate drops to zero. 
Yeah, it will have a bit of Revenge of the Sith yeah. ending because Casa yeah. Doom. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> by Possibly about so. five years. But, but, Sorry but, about that. But just on my sort of Sauron point, so Sauron has been defeated and he's fucked off. So he's then, in theory, changed form and has now come back in a different form. That's where we're at. So that's why we don't know who he is. I am not a hundred percent convinced that we've seen him yet. Really? Because didn't no, we see him in the I'm prologue? Not, I'm not sure in the that first we have. episode. Oh yeah, but like, I, like, we saw but like in his, his in his disguise, oh, if you will. I, I don't see. We know that seen we've his, seen him in right. his disguise. It would okay. be, be great if there's a whole series of speculation about who Sauron is, and then they introduce a character that's just a giant flaming eyeball for head. <laughs> and we're like, hey, there he is. <laughs> it might be him. Yeah, he's like, hey, I'm Sauron. How you guys doing? Um, but yeah, my theory is that it is um, Hal Brands. That's my theory. I just decided that just then. Just yeah. now. Who are you guys, you guys putting your money on? Like I say, I don't think he's turned up, and I think Hal Brand is going to be end up as a ring race, unfortunately. Oh, there's a theory which I like that he's going to be either the king of the dead or some person related to that guy. I think that 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 might be interesting for Hal. That still makes him an um, oath breaker. Yeah, so he'd be an earthquake. So we don't, which one was the witch king of Angmar? Who was he when he was? He human? was a great king of men who was corrupted so by he, the power uh, of the One Ring after accepting one of the nine rings made for men. I'm hmm. so glad you're giving me easy softballs like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's great. <laughs> See, the, the, Helen, what's the, an the, elf? <laughs> <laughs> See, so at some point, Sauron's going to end up on Numenor. I don't want. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into to, to yeah. spoiler spoiler territory. But at some point, Sauron's going to end up on Numenor, and 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 that's so. I'm kind of like that's why I thought Halbrand was the prime suspect. But now, finally, they've left Numenor after all three episodes being like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. No, let's go, no, let's go. All right then. So. Um, so yeah, so now he's going away from Numenor. So I, that that to me, Sauron's trajectory is towards Numenor at some point. But again, I don't know where that would fall in this particular timeline that this show is is bending and twisting to its will. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, I think Hellbrand's out out of the running as a suspect for me. Well, we have seen Hellbrand also like forging stuff, uh, which you know I, I think is meant to be meant to get us thinking about that. And we're, I feel like that the show is actively putting in red herrings. Uh, mm. You know, the the flaming eye when the comet lands with the stranger, which I think it was Nick pointed out to me, looks like the eye of Sauron, which mm-hmm. I hadn't picked up on a first viewing. The fact that uh, Hellbrand is a smith and makes things. Again, seems like, ooh, should that get us thinking? We know that Sauron makes some rings. You know, so I feel like it's it's actively trying to keep us on our toes a little bit. How much of the information in this just doesn't exist? Like is it all in appendices or whatnot? So all of it's out there. So so they're making up sort of like new like there's a lot of this that's just forged new narrative. It's it's okay, so to the extent House of the Dragon, you know, was based on a a quote unquote history that they are then filling in all the actual character work. In, behind, yeah. in between the basic facts. This is like that, but even more so. This is mm. kind of throwaway history rather than focused history book. This is more like you're reading an article and, and in passing, they give you a paragraph on the history of the thing they're talking about. So yeah. they've got even more room to work with. So almost all the characters that aren't elves, not quite all, but a lot of the characters that aren't elves are made up and even some of the ones mm. that are. Because Calabrimbor I've met before, because me and him yes, sit around Shadow in that. Shadow of that, Mordor. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Adar, for yeah. instance, is a totally new character, doesn't exist in, in Tolkien. Yeah. So who the heck knows? But he looks elfy. He's got elfy, elfy ears. He looks I like think a he's an elf gone bad, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Dark well, Adar was the original president of the 12 colonies before the Cylons attacked. So, you know. 
Well, there you go. Can we talk about the best thing in the show? The dwarves. The dwarves. <laughs> Elvon Dangerin specifically. Yes. In other words, <laughs> enough with the quell sauce. Give me the meat and give it to me <laughs> raw. Because that's a great line. And their friendship is so, so great. Like, there is loyalty and then, then there's friendship there genuinely, but there's also half-truths as they're both sort of trying to protect and do what's best for their own people. And that delicate balance is so well done between the two of them, episode to episode. They are right neck and neck with Galadriel for my favorite thing about this show. Oh yeah, I want to see a buddy cop movie with Elrond and Durin. Um, <laughs> is he Durin the yeah. fourth? But yeah, I, I, I think like my two favorite scenes from this show so far are the Galadriel boat sequence from episode one and the smoting contest, the stone smoting contest from <laughs> episode two, which just made me really happy. But that whole Khazad Doom sequence with Elrond going in and in- the introducing of the dwarves is brilliantly yeah. done. But Durin is fantastic, my favorite He's character. So great. Yep. He's so He's great. I, am I the only one who's like a massive Khazad downer on this? Like yes. I'm just not. <laughs> Yes. I'm, I'm not feeling yes. it with the dwarf stuff. It's like when Boyd saw this, he didn't like the first episode at all. And we, when we reviewed this on Pilot, and he was like, he was like, oh, but episode two is great. And I watched episode two, and I was like, this is fucking dwarves all that. This is rubbish. <laughs> I was like, I, I, oh, yeah, I don't like it. It's terrific. Oh, I love so it. Good. I love yeah. how they show, yeah, they show Kazadu, like they're going in through the door, the secret door, and they've got the dwarves in their battle <laughs> armor looking badass. And then I think they've nailed it, honestly, in a way that the Hobbit film, films didn't really, even though no. they were like riddled with dwarves. But this this gave me a shot of dwarf delirium that I, also, I very much enjoyed. Peter Mullen as a dwarf, like comes I mean, around now. It's what he was born to play, and also uh, Disa. <laughs> I just adore her. I love mm, her relationship yeah. with Durin. I love yeah. her relationship with Elrond. I just think she's amazing, and she's kind of being given stuff to do and be, being given a role. And mm-hmm. I'm loving her. Absolutely loving her. Yeah, she's terrific. But the dwarf stuff, I'm loving the world building. The, the It's funny, but also there's some serious stuff, like they're drilling too deep down into Kazadum, And as we all know, mm-hmm. they dug too greedily and too deep and awoken a Balrog. So I'm wondering if we're going to get the Balrog. I wanted to ask about that because, as you say, that is a very famous line from The Lord of the Rings. But if they are, as it's implied by the end of this episode, going to switch that into... They're not digging greedily for themselves. They're digging greedily to save the elves. Mm -hmm. Does that not change the meaning of the line and everything else? It makes it a very bad line if that's the case. Although I guess it's possible Gandalf wouldn't know when he says yeah. that. But mm. uh, but yeah, I think that's that's a bit of a danger right now. The only the only thing kind of countering that is the idea of you know the sort of pulp fiction shots in episode two. I think it was episode two with the what yeah. looked like. The Arkenstone question mark in the chest that the two dwarves are looking at. So maybe they're looking yeah. for more of those, in which case it would not be elf related and would be maybe. Was that not the Mithril? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that was the Mithril. I don't I'm think so sure. because they hadn't revealed the Mithril well, at that Durin's point. Dad doesn't seem to be aware of the digging for the Mithrils. Well, so I thought that's the whole. Yes, he is. Hang on, yeah. hang on. Am I completely yes. misunderstood the series? My understanding well, of this he was thing secretly, is that he was doing it secretly, so his dad digged. didn't find out. What? No. During the fourth, no, no, no. Was, do you remember he's doing that secret dig? No, no, Am I wrong? no, no. The, the dig is supposed to be secret. I think this is like, like the dwarves' no, dig during, secret during, from the outside world. Is the mithril? Yeah, no, no. The, the, so my my take away from from everything that I've seen in the show is that that Peter Mullen knows all about the mithril. It's totally, un, you know, he's under his purview and everything. Uh, it's just that he and he's told his son this has got to be ultra ultra secret. We don't want this getting out there. We don't want anyone, especially those elves, finding out about it. So, so, and then, so the box that they were looking at at the end of episode two, I would say is categorically 
as far as I'm concerned, Mithril. That's what it was. Now, obviously, Elrond has found out about it, and then it turns out, oh, actually, do you know what? The elves pretty much know about it as well because the leaves have gone mm -hmm. all nasty and, and everything because for some reason this mm -hmm. metal that down in the rock is actually something to do with the life force of the elves because of that tree incident with the Balrog earlier, which, yeah. Does kind of kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but hey, whatever, whatever. So everyone knows about the mithril. So you're saying it's 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 no longer a mystery. <laughs> yes, yes, it's no longer would. a mystery. Very good. It's the worst kept secret in Middle Earth. Yeah, like I would say that you know several of us on this call would would count our our nerd percentages in high double digits, and yet even <laughs> we are struggling to follow this fucking story. And I swear to God, if you pinned me down and put a Morgoth blade or whatever it is at my throat and asked me to name more than ten, or let's be honest, more than three characters, I probably <laughs> like I only know what everyone's called is because I got the IMDb page in front of me. I'm just when I'm watching it, I'm like, that's Benjamin Stark. That's the little. Dwarf man, and that, and you know, I don't know who anyone is. Like no one. It's hard to, it, yeah. It, it's because like we're watching it at the same time as we're watching House of the Dragon, and I'm enjoying a lot of things in this show. It as opposed to House, how they're doing it in House of the Dragon. But I will say yeah. that House of the Dragon is so easy to follow, and it's based yeah. around like a small group of characters, and you know exactly. Although, I mean, keeping keeping Rhaenyra and Rhaenice. And the rest in your head, and you know the and, names. Uh, the, the names, names I agree, as we yeah. get as yeah. we get more generations as well, which we're we're beginning to get. And you've got you know, Lena, yeah. Lainor, another mm. Lena. Mm -hmm. I think it just oh, it was easy when the queen was just called Emma. Yeah, I mean there are multiple Durins in this, but I will, will say that there is so bloody much going on in this show. It is hmm. even before they got to like Numenor, and, and Numenor just blow blew my head up. <laughs> but I love it. I love the complexity. I still need to catch up on House of the Dragon, but initially the first two episodes of The Ring to Power, it was a good start, but I did feel overwhelmed because you're being plunged knee deep into five separate storylines all unfurling at the same time. And in addition to that, you got to deal with the nostalgia for The Lord of the Rings, which some of the scenes and some of the dialogue in this alludes to The Lord of the Rings trilogy, where it's done better. Like even I think it was episode three, um, Galadriel was getting mad at Muriel and like saying like you, you do not have the power to you know make decisions regent which is what Gandalf a version of what Gandalf said, reminded me of what Gandalf was saying to Denethor in Return of the King where like the you know, role of steward is not given to you or I, you, you know you know what I'm talking about but there's stuff like that which reminds me of the Lord of the Rings trilogy now as I've you know continued to watch this show and the characters have been able to distinguish themselves on more on their own merits. I've had less trouble in terms of remembering names and locations and everything else, but it's taken me a while to get to that point. The first two episodes, it's just, it's overwhelming the amount of stuff it's got going on. If, if we're talking, you know, a, a show that relates to its predecessor, I feel like House of the Dragons does a lot more of that ultimately, or at least as much of that as this does. They, they, it's bending over backwards to remind you that it comes from Game of Thrones, which I suppose mm. this is as well, given the score and the design and the overall aesthetic. Yeah. And we can understand why. Yeah. One brilliant thing that, that Peter Jackson did with the films was to start really focused and start with the Hobbits and then right. gradually a character will join every like 40 minutes. And so you're getting, you don't get the elves and the dwarves until halfway through Fellowship and he's slowly building and expanding it. But you start off very like 
coming from the same place as Frodo and Sam, where they don't know anything about this world and you're seeing it through their eyes, which is a really, mm-hmm. really smart way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get why they couldn't do it with this show, but it does feel like really just they're just dumping the whole of Middle Earth on yeah. your head and it's quite heavy. It's it's difficult because like Lord of the Rings is a very, very simple, straight to the point story, isn't it? When you boil it right down, it's like a, it's a quest. It's a quest story. Whereas this, I'm not quite, this is like a great big geopolitical, you know, the wheel of time turns type thing. Like it's, there's Yay. a fucking lot going on. Although <laughs> Helen, and I did think of you a lot, one of our readers share this with me you know the classic uh, meme of the guy looking at the girl with the when his girlfriend looks at him askance mm-hmm. when he does it and it's like the guy is amazon the girl walking past is this and then the mm-hmm. girlfriend is the wheel of time i have been saying this since they start they put both of these into production i have been saying mm-hmm. that my big worry is that the wheel of time will get crushed by the lord of the rings juggernaut that remains my worry and i'm so glad that season two is already essentially in the can <sighs> yeah which i think hopefully increases its chances of survival but there, you're absolutely right there is a real danger of that show being overshadowed by this one um even though they're you know they are different i promise i swear the one thing i will say is that i think this show is obviously about the forging of the rings of power that's the one liner i think this season is very much getting to the point of beginning the forging they're literally building a freaking tower to forge some shit i think that's i think that's what the tower is yeah so um Mm -hmm. So it is it's a it's a it may be a big long quest in the end, but it's maybe Sauron's quest to an extent. And then Galadriel's contrasted with that, which is stop this bad dude. But I'm quite enjoying I mean, after five episodes, I'm quite enjoying these characters. I'm enjoying each one we go to with the possible still a little bit weak on the Harfoots, but generally speaking, when you cut uh-huh. to a new bunch, I'm like, Oh, I like these guys. Oh yay. Yeah. I'm enjoying the fact that you can now see that everything is coming together. And the big battle is on the horizon, and you can start to see, you know, to have to paraphrase, the board is set and the pieces are moving very slowly, but they're yeah. moving. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect of it as well. For me, uh, Elrond is the most compelling at the moment because I feel, yeah, because I feel like there's this big conspiracy going on. Like it feels like Sauron is working in these. He's he's at work. He's doing stuff behind the scenes. You can see Kelly Brimbore. I think there's a theory that all the stuff that Kelly Brimbore is saying in the last episode is actually put in the elves' head by Sauron. It's not true. The stuff about the Mithril. Um, and I feel like Elrond is the guy who's gonna start figuring it out and is gonna try and stop this big sort of evil conspiracy. So I feel like I'm in, I'm enjoying that he's kind of in the middle of all that. These sort of elvish politics. Um, I find Galadriel. I was enjoying uh, Galadriel very much the first couple of episodes. I feel like she's just on stuck in place at the moment she like, goes full then, john wick in this episode yeah but it's totally unnecessary you could have cut it it doesn't do anything why why would you cut she goes one on five with some rookies with minimal effort and it's awesome I i'm it. not saying you should cut it um I, I, it's a good scene but it doesn't advance anything i feel like we've already established she's a complete badass she took down a snow troll like now we don't need yes. to see it have it proven again like I, it's yes not, we do uh, all right yeah. <laughs> I think at least 70% of every episode should be Galadriel just unloading on shit. But I see, weirdly, like, even though I'm not a massive fan of the dwarves, I really have been enjoying all the Numenor stuff, which I know has left you a bit cold. It's like, was I really like that? Because I like the, the fact that they've come to this nation that's gone full Farage. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's like this massive sort of like, uh, you know, immigrants out. Like, it's mad. And, like, and she's there as this lone elf. And I've really enjoyed that and how everyone's just really shifty around there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, and, yeah, I, I, I've liked it a lot. So you're saying season two is going to be Numen Exit? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. On, like. Exactly right. It'll be a referendum. 
It is weird. I did not expect this show to have as much politics as it did. I didn't expect mm. this show to be making fun of, you know, George W. Bush's mission accomplished thing via Gilgalad. I did not expect this show to, to go, as you say, full Farage. And and yet here we are, you know, whereas, you know, Game, uh, House of the Dragon is just incesting all over the place, which doesn't seem like <laughs> such a pressing political issue. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it's 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 weird. I'm I'm not not a criticism, but yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I'm kind of getting a bit bored of the Numenor stuff, and and I think Gladriel's kind of turning into a one note character. She's turning into one of those characters you get in a lot of TV shows who just has this one thing that they do, one thing that they want, one thing that they need. And and it's and and having absolutely loved her in the first two episodes, I'm I'm now kind of when we get back to her, I'm a little bit like, oh, okay, um, you know, it's all getting a little bit like you know, butter scraped over too much bread. This that storyline, it's a bit Xena Warrior Prince, a little bit that it's 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 become a little bit two D. Prior to episode five, I might have agreed with you, but she has a really great chat with Halbrand where she gets into what is driving her more than just trying to do the right thing very stubbornly. And that is because uh, her people, she's a provider to her, home, to her own people who cannot distinguish her from the evil that she's fighting. And she's obsessed with fighting. That was really interesting stuff. And I feel like the arc that Galadriel is on is sort of to learn a bit of humility and learn to be a bit wiser in how she pursues her goals, rather than be very stubborn and disrespectful as she is, I think, in episode three, when she first goes to Numenor and just says, like, this is this is what needs to happen. You know, screw you guys, and gets 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 chucked in jail for, for her trouble. That's a really compelling journey for her to be on. And I think Morphic Clark is killing it. So yeah, I'm I'm a big gladual fan. And then, yes. then you add you add the badassery, which is awesome. And yeah. And she also, I mean, like, we don't ask much more of most badasses than that they be badass. So, you know, it feels like we're maybe asking a little bit too much of her in some ways. But I actually agree. I agree with Mon. I think there's there's a lot of substance there. And also, I suspect they're going to get to the Southlands. Yes, they're going to find, I, I'm guessing, a bunch of orcs, some people, some of whom sympathize with the orcs, la, la, la. But I don't think they're going to find Sauron. So she is going to be frustrated once again. And how mm -hmm. she deals with that is going to be really interesting in the next couple of episodes. I will say, I mentioned earlier, but I, I did think the scene in episode one with the boat um, was one of my favourites. I just absolutely loved that. That was the moment that really won me over on the show because it's just so earnest and epic mm -hmm. and, and straightforwardly emotional in a way you don't see very often. And I thought that Morford Clark smashed it. Amazing. Like really, really just, I was like, won me over totally with her performance there so it's not her at all it's um it's just the character i just wish they'd give her more to do and push mm. that story forward a little bit but i'm sure it will speed up yeah. now they finally got on the bloody boat well yeah well can we talk about where they're going for a minute because they're they're going to the southlands and that's the group that we haven't touched on at all uh so we should talk about arondir and bronwyn and all the peoples there so how's that gripping you I, I think there's been some great stuff there. I really like the whole, you know, the slavers, the slaves, um, and Arondir's attempted escapes and, and that business. There were some amazing action sequences where he's doing all the fancy stuff with the chains. I really like that. And the tragedy of his elf friends getting killed. The orcs, I think, are brilliantly done in this show. I think they look absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, and, and, and I really like Adar. 
I just to jump in on the orcs. Um, yeah, I thought that first the, the the way they held the orcs back, and then that first orc when that just a single orc comes into the house and you have that amazing action scene. I thought that was brilliant. Like mm. just totally wins you over, especially after the Hobbit films where they were ropey and I mean good CG, but I did not like the CG orcs. Yeah, me neither. And I really Are there orcs happy. In the Hobbit. Oh, yeah. just the goblins. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, they're orcs. There are orcs. The main orc the is the main orc is uh, oh, digital. Yes, that's right. He's called that's right. Sorry, uh, Azog. Azog. Yeah, the um, defiler. And, and he was originally a prosthetic. Uh, he was originally a guy with a big ginger beard, and then they huh. um, digitally pasted over him with this uh, albino kind of looking orc. But but I just I just love seeing the the prosthetic dudes back, and I think they've done a brilliant job of that. I have an orc question. So. Uh, goblins, as we know, are allergic to sunlight. Trolls, as we know, are allergic to sunlight. Orcs seem to be running around with wild abandon in Lord of the Rings. Why are they suddenly allergic to sunlight? If you remember, when they leave Moria, they do the sort of, by nightfall, these hills will be crawling with orcs. Yeah. They don't say they'll be following us out right now. But when they're wag riding across the, the you know, the, 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 they're on their little dog things. <laughs> Yeah, that's Uruk-hai. That's Uruk-hai. I have to speak. I've got to get this out. Uruk-hai, the whole point of Uruk-hai is, is Saruman has interbred orc and man to create a race which can be as powerful and as nasty as orcs, if not more so, and also march during the daylight and operate during the daylight. So so that's mm. what you got, you, yeah. the introduction of this new I think- subspecies of orc. But there's a distinction in Lord of the Rings between the Urukai and the Orcs. Yeah, these are old school, kicking it old school Orcs that cannot go into sunlight. So it's only the, only the ones that Saruman makes are able to go in the sunlight. Except, yeah. except, except the ones that Saruman makes, the Urukai, they're all like great big strapping fucking six foot five blokes, right? Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. the ones riding the Wargs and the two towers are the scrawny little Orc type looking ones, which I my understanding was those are Orcs, and you know because these like they're the ones that run off with. Uh, uh, with Merry and Pippin, they're the ones that attack them at the end of Fellowship as well, aren't they? In the sunlight and run off with them in the sunlight. And then Aragorn goes, let's hunt some orc, not let's hunt some Urukai. Of course, this isn't a direct prequel to those movies because they don't have the rights sure. to those movies. So they can make up their own rules for these things. True, and in this, you know. the, the orcs are clearly more sensitive to sunlight than we have seen before. They've always been sensitive, at least, if mm-hmm. not full vampire. Here, they've gone a bit more full vampire. I will say James kind of has a point about the war- the wargs. The ones yeah. that capture them at the end of Fellowship and and are in two towers are definitely Urukai. However, the ones riding the wargs in two towers are orcs. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. So that's really that's confusing. True. James, you have a point. I hate to say it. Excellent. Don't encourage him. <laughs> don't encourage done. him. Maybe they have excellent sunblock. I don't know. <laughs> so, what do you think is happening with this, that scepter thing? That that seriously creepy looking, polluting, smoky looking scepter thing that the uh, that the humans had hidden under the barn floor. Yeah. Oh, the hilt of the sword. That's that isn't that I always thought that was one of those what are the what are the blade things that the Nazgul use? Like is it a Morgoth blade? Morgul, what is it? Morgul blade. Yeah. Morgul blade. Morgul that's Morgul it. Blade. I thought I thought it was like akin to that because it seems to feed on blood and blood obviously generates the blade and you just have the hilt. So oh, it's, you think it's that's gnarly. a blade and not like a torch? Well, it seems to be a blade. Like so he cuts it and then the blade forms from the end. That's what I thought. It sort of sucks your blood into it, and mm. it, it's, it's super, yeah, it's creepy. Don't they say that the hilt is a key to unlocking whatever that thing is that they're coming to Osterwith for? And, yeah, and I, but I think they talk yeah, about it wasn't... being a mind-control device almost. They, they talk about it being okay. used to enslave the southern men, these southerners. 
Okay. That's what they said, in, as I understood it, in the last episode. So that again, this I think is all new. I have I don't remember an item like that, but the implication to me was that that was not a blade; that it was a, essentially a scepter, a sort of figure of rule that would allow Sauron to control the humans. Okay, I was I was I was convinced it was a sword, <laughs> but I could be wrong because I I clearly don't understand a great deal of this show. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I mean, it's 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 crazy complex. I like Alvond. Uh, as Dan mentioned, he gets a really cool battle scene, although as great as that scene was, there's a little bit too much slow motion for my liking. Um, but for the most part, it was very cool. The, the, the warg, which they have to fight uh, very impressively than CGI. Um, that storyline, I don't know, it's not quite popping for me yet. I like, is it, is it Bronwyn, mm-hmm. uh, who is like just taking over sort of leadership uh, in a sense? Um, I think that could turn out to be really, really compelling. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a big battle uh, on the horizon. That would be cool to see. And I'm sure we're going to see more of the show's epic budget in, uh, in that. Um, but yeah, right now, I don't know. It's, it's not quite popping for me. The, 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 the stuff that it's leading to is very intriguing, but... From what I'm seeing right now, it's not quite doing it for me. I'm getting, I, I didn't like them at first, but I'm very much into uh, uh, Arundir and Bronwyn at this point. I think they've they've really kind of had some, I don't know, some character and I'm, I'm getting into them now. Theo, though, Bronwyn's mm. son, uh, remains a twerp and I'm having real yeah. trouble. I'm glad uh, he's finally fessed up that he's had this hill all along, but yeah. just don't, why, why is it taking you so long? Maybe um, there's redemption coming, I hope, because he yeah. seems like a, yeah, Egypt. Not as big in Egypt as Wallbrand, who oh my is the uh, the filch of uh, Rings of Power. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good shout. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. Um, so who's who? Who are everyone's favourite characters uh, so far, apart from maybe Durin, who's obviously favourite? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously the best one, James. Yeah. You know, I I like Elrond. I like mm-hmm. Galadriel. Um, the, those three Durin, Elrond, Galadriel um, always happy to see them on my screen they're great I'm really I, I said Elrond already Durin uh, is a given Adar I, I'm really enjoying what Joseph uh, is, how do you say his name Mal, Mowley Stark Morley. Uh yes Benji Stark I'm really enjoying what he's doing I think he's uh, really interesting and creepy as a kind of dark elf uh, dude so I like that mm. Arondir I like Arondir I think he's awesome mm. Galadriel's my favourite, but Arondir is cool. I don't, don't <laughs> think they've done enough with him recently. I don't know that he necessarily needs to sort of just sit there, you know, off. He's, he's just he's been given, given a lot of moral support, I would say. It's uh, bothering me a bit how he's getting his hair cut. Like, I don't, I shouldn't <laughs> get hung up on elvish hair, but I, it is, every time I see him, I wonder how he's getting his hair cut. And I'm just yeah. like, he's got a fresh cut. Sean. <laughs> yeah. Magic? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there's, yeah, the, there are runes. The, 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 the elves, the elves, you know, they use they, they they kind of like they use natural magics and things like that. So probably what he does is he gets like little insects to come down and and clip his hair for him, and they sort of do that or something. Maybe it's my that's my theory anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, Aaron Deer, he's he's my favorite. He's cool. He's the, he's the one you want to see. I'm glad they're building up to this sort of like mini Helms Deep kind of a scenario because I now want to I want to see Aaron Deer, you know. Uh, sliding on 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 shields and jumping around the battlements and doing <laughs> doing crazy Legolas shit with with his bow and arrow. It's totally going to be a thing where there's a big old fight. They're getting overwhelmed by the orcs, and then Galadriel and the people come in for a last minute save. 
That is the Amon guarantee on this episode. <laughs> it's going to happen. You're welcome. <laughs> If a Rondir is not in Lord of the Rings, hmm. should we be worried for him? I mean, look, he could have gone to the Grey Havens already and, and gone to live happily ever after um, in Valhalla. Mm. I mean, sorry, with the Valar. So uh, it's it's not necessarily worrisome that he doesn't make it to the Lord of the Rings. There's been quite a lot of time in between. He may have also gone off back to farming and be living quite mm. happily somewhere near the Grey Havens, maybe on the river, farming away. Tending some cabbage. Tending some cabbage. How lovely. Oh, I'm really enjoying Kelly Brimbor as well. Let's give a shout out to Kelly, uh, Charles Edwards for Kelly Brimbor. I really like mm. him. I, I really love that scene with Elrond where they mm. were just talking, talking shop, elvish forging stuff. And I don't know, I, I'm really enjoying that character. So I want to yeah. see more of him doing his it thing. Is, it is making me want to replay Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. Two very good Lord of the Rings games. Sure. Yeah, Shadow of War can fuck right off, but I very much enjoyed Shadow of Mordor. <laughs> yeah. um, I, my favourites are probably, well, after obviously Durin and Galadriel, um, I am really loving Elendil, who has a nice sort of sarky way about him when he's standing in on major councils, um, for mm. one. And and I really like Lenny Henry. Now, I, I absolutely mm. do take on board all the notes about Irish accents being used to donate comedy sidekicks. And I do think that's a continuing problem that that Hollywood has and needs to get past. That said, he's doing a very good accent and he has that mysterious book full of what look like accurate prophecies. So I'm really interested in what the hell that is and what's going on there. So um, more of him, please. Thank Can you. anyone other than Helen name his character without looking it up? Yes, um, yes, yes. Hardock. Yes. Hardock? Sadock Burrows. Sadock Burrows. Yes, without looking up. Did you look it up, Dan? Be honest. I didn't look it up. I was thinking of Tintin, Captain Haddock. <laughs> yes, S-A-D-D-O-C, Burrows, as you'd imagine. Next question. Well, it's S-A-D-O-C according to IMDb. But... <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> well, look, I, I don't... What, okay, so what are we looking forward to in the next, uh, what, three episodes left, three or four episodes left? What are you hoping to see? More Galadriel badassery. James? Sauron. <laughs> of course. Mm. Well on brand. How about you, Dan? I am thoroughly looking forward to seeing some proper Balrog action. Let's come on. Let's let's get the Balrog waking up. Yes. He's, called, he's he's known as Durin's Bane wow. for a reason. Balrog's this Durin early. versus the Balrog. Maybe, maybe maybe hint of Balrog. I'll I'll take I'll take a tip of a horn. Okay. What about the Balrog though, Dan? <laughs> I'd like to see. I'd like to see a bottle episode with just the Balrog, like the fly episode of Breaking Bad, where it's just a whole hour of the Balrog, like going around his daily Balrog duties in a pit. <laughs> yeah, trying to get out of a pit. How many more episodes, roughly, do you guys want to see these? Who is Sauron? Who is Gandalf? Mysteries lost. I think the Sauron one's going to run and run for quite some time to come. Like I say, mm. um, Gandalf, I think, is going to become clear sooner. And I know this is Season heresy. And a lot of people are very upset that the, the possibility that this could be Gandalf because the Astari are not supposed to arrive yet. I'm totally fine with it. I don't care. Yeah. So um, mm. uh, yeah, you can nice string me up, hardcore fans, but I, I think it's fine. And I think if they want to introduce him, I think he's still going to be on the sidelines for quite some time to come. I don't think he's going to be you know front line of the battle, but I do think he creating a place for him and having him build up his presence in Middle-earth is, is kind of a cool thing for this show to do I f I, it feels like it, it's a good note to end the season on mm. like to mm. have like his, I am Gandalf 
You can you find know. a pointy hat and put it on. Yeah. <laughs> and just be he like. He just turns to the half and goes, fly, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> there is a theory online that it's actually Saruman that we are watching. Because yeah. he was initially a He's goodie elder. before he was a baddie. That would be and cooler, also, actually. And also, Gandalf was apparently more associated with fire and Saruman more associated with ice. And mm. whoever is healing themselves is using ice in this episode to do so. So. This is true. We discussed this a little bit last time. Um, I think, though, the, the 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 problem I have with that is still, and yes, Saruman is elder and blah, blah, blah. The problem mm. I have a little bit with that is there has never been any connection before the scourging of the Shire between uh, Saruman and the Hobbit-like peoples. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be extremely uh, eccentric of the show to introduce him and put him Especially because this entire show would have to be Saruman being a goodie, which would be weird mm. for all of us who know where he ends up. So I, I'm less convinced by that, but we shall see. But I we suppose Saruman is a goodie all the way up to the defeat of to the end of this age, isn't he? He's yeah. sure he turns oh, yeah, 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 during the next year. So I suppose we yeah. could, you mm. know. But that's what I mean. Um, it's weird for us though to see this guy being hailed as a goodie mm. the whole way through. And actually, he sh- as I say, he shouldn't be in this age. He should only arrive at the beginning of the next age. So if this mm. is any of the wizards, they're already breaking canon, so they can do whatever the hell they want. So the mm. wizards don't arrive till the third age. Is this a yeah. thing? Ah, uh, okay. There's one alternative we haven't considered. That is that the stranger is Radagast, and the season one finale will be the introduction <laughs> of Sebastian the Hedgehog. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Make it bring so. it on. On that note, with the most beloved character in Middle-earth history, Sebastian the Hedgehog, I think we should probably wrap this up for now. We will be back uh, for the season finale in three weeks. Um, We will also, of course, be here with all the TV and film spoiler specials you could possibly want, as long as you don't want weekly ones, because we don't have the manpower, as I said. Um, But in the meantime, thank you to my Riverside names, Endurin. (laughs) Endurin, Endurin. (laughs) <laughs> I'm on Warman. Peace. Thank you to Elrond Hubbard <laughs> Dan Jolin. Lamaria. Hey. Thank you to Am I Sauron? No, I'm Nick. <laughs> Little literal. Why, you fools! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to James, it says here on go. my screen. <laughs> wow. Like Saruman and Sauron, just the one word, just the one, a bit like Beyonce and Wong, just James. Just James. Okay. Well, someone didn't put the effort in, but that's fine. And it's goodbye from me, Newman or Newman Moore. More. Thanks a lot for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. 